0: There's this old uh, what what they would call a meme, a meme. There's an old internet meme that uh, it's it's a kid. It's it's obviously from the 90s, and it's a kid in a school hallway, a teenager, and he looks at this other kid and he goes, "Hey, Scotty!" Jesus, man! And he does a fist pump. You know, it's obviously from some made-for-TV. Christian movie from the 90s. And it is very funny. You know, this just it's like a two-second clip. Just, hey, Scotty. Jesus, man. And then he fist pumps. It is just funny on its own. I don't even know that I saw it way back in the day. You know, despite being online from the time I was a teenager, I don't know that I... I, I didn't really come... Across, like, the, the early memes and stuff, like, you saw certain things... But not everything like you do today. And uh, I mean, even like this kid who worked for me a few months ago, he was 18 years old, Mormon kid in high school. And he told this other guy at work like, you know, you look like hippie Giga Chad. And I knew what that was, like, even though I really don't, I knew what, what Giga Chad was. I knew what Giga Chad was. I did. And and it was really off-base too, it was this this other guy who works with us, who's tall and thin and has a ponytail, I understood the hippie aspect, I mean there's that thing that people still do, it it amazes me that an 18 year old would think this way, just spiraling into tangents within tangents, I've got to find my way back, but I'm surprised that an 18 year old in today's world would like see a ponytail. And the guy really doesn't have anything else. Like, he looks, you know, he looks like he's probably liberal or something. (laughs) Uh, But, uh, like, he's not a hippie. But then an 18-year-old in today's world would see long hair or a ponytail and immediately go hippie. Because as long as I've been alive, like, you grow your hair long and people are like, hey, hippie. Like, when I had long hair when I was younger in high school, people would just be like, oh, you're a hippie. Oh dude, go tell the hippie dude, come over here. Uh, it's just something that people default to. Kind of like if you've ever had long hair and a beard, people will just automatically go, he looks like Jesus. You he look like Jesus. People always go to that. It's like if you've never seen like they'll say it to people who look nothing like the classic depiction of Jesus. They'll still say, like, just because they have long hair and a beard, like, you you look like you know, you look like Jesus. And you're just like, man, like, is that your only point of reference for long hair and a beard? It's kind of the same thing for, like, someone with long hair being a hippie. That said, just to get back here a little bit, you know, hippie gigachad, like, I was just kind of, I don't know, I mean, it's just, like, I know what that is. I don't pay attention to any part of the internet where, like, I guess I do see him now and again. Like, if I'm paying attention to, like, I don't know, I, I see him now and again. But it's it's just not something that anybody I know would ever send to me. It's not the places I look. It's not something that I would ever. I don't know. I still just knew what it was. But the the Scotty Jesus man thing that was like an early one. Like, and it just tells you how those things have changed over time too. Because back then it was much more. It was just something completely random. It was often like something that somebody clipped from a made-for-TV movie. There was nothing, there was no commentary to it. There was no, there were no politics. I mean, memes all have some sort of purpose now, it seems like. I mean, I'm just listening to myself talk and hating it. Like, memes just all have some kind of purpose now. Some sort of meme analysis going on here. I don't don't like it, but it's necessary. Um, But now it feels like they all have like a tone. Like there are obviously blatantly political ones, but it does feel like they're all like gearing towards something. Whereas I feel like 20 years ago, that sort of stuff, it was just a random clipping from a TV movie that people found ridiculous. And like the things people sent to each other were much more like that. It was like, look at this look at it. It was very absurd. But I was thinking about that Scotty Jesus man one, because I don't even know if I saw it. Like, that's what got me going is, is like, I don't even know if I ever saw that back in the day, because I really didn't seek out stuff like that. Um, but anyway, like I, I'm aware of it and. the other night like a week or two ago I was like you know what I want to know what movie that is I want to know the full context and uh, I found out what movie it was I forget the name now but I ended up finding it online for free and watching it it's like not even an hour long I I feel like it's like a 50 minute movie which is perfect that's a perfect length for a movie for me I can't sit there and watch a two-hour movie even an hour and a half, I don't know, I just can't commit to that. I'll wait, I'll—you know it's not like my time is that precious. I waste so much of my time, but there's just something about me in movies that I just can't be like, yeah, I'm gonna, and, and even though I multitask when I do everything, like everything I do when I'm by myself is an insane level of multitasking. Not that I even get anything done, but I just think I'm always doing five things at once. If I'm even just relaxing on the couch I'm doing five things at once Uh, But I waste so much of my time But I still just can't The idea of like watching a movie And even doing other things while I watch it Is just really foreign to me I just don't do it It's been years, many years Since I've done that So a 15 minute movie I'll watch it I'll watch it So I found that movie, and I watched it. And honestly, I was transfixed from beginning to end. Like, not only did I not multitask, I just sat there watching it. I can't even tell you the last time I did that. By myself. Like, when you're with somebody else, you're kind of hostage. Like, I remember I used to draw and watch movies. You know, because, I mean, if if you're dating somebody, you have to watch movies. And I had a girlfriend years ago, and... Like she was an artist and stuff, but she would want to watch a lot of things, and I would just draw while I did it. Because there's something about watching movies where I feel like it's it's entirely unproductive. Like even though I'll will waste time, I'm usually like wasting time for some sort of purpose. But watching a movie, I just I don't feel like I'm getting anything done, and I know it's a bad thought to have. You know, I, I think you got to allow yourself some me time. You gotta allow yourself some time. Take the pressure off. Just watch a movie. I don't know. I just... I can't watch a movie without feeling like I'm being too unproductive or something. So I would draw during movies. But I knew that even though this girlfriend I had was an artist and even though, like, she understood, I could tell it really bothered her that I was doing something else. You know, it's not as bad as just, like, burying your face in your phone while you're watching a movie with somebody. But the idea of doing anything else... And she would do things, too, like, she'd be like... She'd comment on the movie in a way where she was, like, testing if I was paying attention. She'd be like, oh, can you believe he said that? And I'd be like, Whoa, what? know huh? uh, I can't. You know, I'd, I'd lie, because I really wasn't paying attention. And that's probably, I mean, I'm not saying this to criticize her. Like, she... I think it was valid of her to be annoyed because I wasn't in it. Like when you watch a movie with somebody, you're in it with them. You're having a shared experience. Like your reality is both channeled through this movie and it's fun. Like you react at the same things, you talk about it. So the idea of watching a movie together, well, I'm not only multitasking, but obviously not paying attention. Like she's in the right here. But it's, it's just that I felt right, too, because uh, I am watching it with you. Like, I am here. I am sitting here while the movie plays. It's just that, like, a compromise for me is that I want to be doing something. We never had an argument. Like, all this, all this shit I'm saying right now, like, we never said that. Like, we didn't have a talk about it. Like, oh, I need to, the reason, like, imagine it talking this way. People do it all the time, but... There's the there's dryer. Um, imagine a lot of people in that situation where it's like, oh, I, I can tell that you're getting annoyed that I'm drawing while we watch the movie. Um, well, I just want to let you know that, like, I know that it's hard that I'm not in it with you, but the thing is, is it's, it's sort of a compromise because I want to be getting things done. And, you know, it, like, imagine talking that way. So we never, we never had a conversation about it. It was just something I was aware of. I was like, I can tell she's mad at me for doing something else while we watch the movie. I can tell that uh, she's testing me to see if I'm paying attention. And guess what, I'm not. But uh, I I don't know what my point was. I don't know. what My point even was, I watched this movie and, uh, you know, I guess, I guess my point was that like, unless somebody's with me, I'm going to multitask during a movie. It's only like when you're with somebody else, you're kind of held hostage. And and I mean, it's fun. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying I don't like watching movies with people at all. I love it. But I, I, you are kind of a hostage to the other person in the sense that, like, you need to be paying attention. You need to be... Ex- it's an experience you're having together. But the idea that, like, I sat down and watched this Christian movie from start to finish, granted it was only 50 minutes, but still, like, I can't even commit to a half hour. I can't even watch a TV, an episode of a TV show without feeling this way. Uh, but the fact that I sat there glued didn't do anything else i was prepared to i was all ready to start doing something else like writing or drawing or anything i wasn't gonna drive i haven't been drawing lately i just said that to make myself sound cool um, but i was planning on like doing some research and maybe writing while i did it and i just watched the whole thing from start to finish and the plot was good it was the plot was kind of like uh what's it called uh What's it called? A Christmas Carol. The plot was a, a lot like it was kind of a variation on a Christmas Carol. And it was this Christian teenager. He's the perfect kid. He's a PK, a perfect kid. But he's feeling like he's missing a lot of opportunities, especially with girls because of how religious he is. You know, he runs the Bible study. I think this movie's from maybe 91, 92. Definitely early 90s. You know, he's got the, the... He's blonde. He's got the haircut. He's got the right clothes for the time. But yeah, he feels like he's missing out. He's a dork. Basically, the entire plot of the movie is... This dork is sick of being a dork. And he talks to his dad about it. And he's having all these problems. Like, the main thing is there's... It, all, it always goes back to a girl. And, like, the main thing is that there's this girl he really likes she's like the popular hot girl she's involved with a bad boy or something or she hangs out with a bad boy and he, he helps her study he's her study he's her tutor and she's really nice to him but he, he tries to ask her out and she's like oh like that's sweet but you know i just see you as a friend i just see his friend you friend uh, and then so he ends up like making a wish or a, says a prayer or something, you know, for, thing, for things to be different, like for him to be cool. And then he wakes up and of course he's in, he's in the world now where he's cool. He's crossed through the portal and he's now in the alternate dimension where he's cool. And everything, it turns out like his faith was holding everything together. And in this other alternate world where he's not faithful, like his parents are divorced, his dad's not even there. He His mom's not home when he wakes up and there's just like empty pizza boxes and beer cans all over the house. And then when he's leaving the house, like his mom's getting dropped off by some guy because his mom's a whore. Like in the alternate dimension, his parents are divorced and his mom's just a, you know, just a, A negligent slut but yeah so that's that's the first thing you see and then he goes to school and he's friends with the bad kids because he has this kind of rival who's a bad kid he's a bad boy but like in this new dimension that's his best friend and they all keep, and he, you know, he still thinks he's himself, but the way everybody talks to him shows that like, he's an entire, he has an entirely different life and personality in this different world. Cause it'll be like, he's like, oh, I gotta go to class. And they'll be like, you go to class. I've got to study for a test. You study for a test. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's obvious that all the things that he used to do are like the opposite of what he does in this alternate dimension. And he's with the girl. In this, when he's the bad boy, he's he's a bully. I think he's all those things. He's a loser and he's a bully, but he's popular and he gets the girls. And uh, it turns out he's with the girl of his dreams, the girl that like basically led to him praying for things to be different. The girl who's causing him him to have an existential crisis. You know, he's with her, and then there's this big party. And he's, of course, invited, whereas I don't think he was before. And he goes to the party, and, like, there's a, there's also, like, a subplot where there's this couple that he's friends with. And the boyfriend's extremely jealous. He's just, he, and he's, like, like, one of their other friends is just talking to his girlfriend. And, like, this guy, he's, like, he's very tough, and he's very jealous. He's just, he gets extremely angry. So it's, like, they have this friend who's very possessive over his girlfriend, And uh, in the alternate reality, that couple's still together. But anyway, just setting up the party here. Setting up the big... Because the party scene is like the big climax. And so he goes to the party. And it's, of course, like some place that he would never be otherwise. And he's there with his girlfriend. The girl of his dreams is his girlfriend. But then it turns out that in this alternate reality... Uh, he's also he he's cheating on this the girl of his dreams with the jealous guy's girlfriend, and I have to say too in, in their normal reality, uh, the he he like helps talk the jealous guy down like when the jealous guy gets really upset about people talking to his girlfriend, the good kid like, talks him down and calms him down. But in this new reality, he's not doing that. He's actually cheating on his girlfriend with the jealous guy's girlfriend. So it's just a... You can just see where this is going. And so at the party... But, like, like the jealous guy's girlfriend is, like, obsessed with him. Like, she wants him to leave his girlfriend to be with her. And it's... You know, it's it's a good story. And at the party, like, the other guy's girlfriend comes in... And, like, lays it all out in the open. Like, she's also seeing him. And, like, she confronts his girlfriend. And so he's just in this mess. Like, I was gripped by it. Watching this movie, like, I... My stomach was just clenched. I was like, oh, no. Like, he's at the party. And now, like, he's seeing two girls at once. And now they're having a confrontation. And then, like, the the jealous guy comes in now. And he, he ends up, like, having to run out of the party... And the jealous guy and his friends are chasing him in a car. I'm giving away the entire plot. I'm sorry, but so now he's being terrorized by the jealous guy, and it's great. And then, of course, like you know, as you'd expect, he wakes up, and life is back to normal. And like he, he realizes that because uh, there's another scene too when he's in the alternate reality. He's like I got to get to Bible study or something like that. I I get, get I got to go to the Bible club. And he like runs into this room in the in the high school and there's something else going on in there and he's like I, where's the Bible club and they're like that doesn't exist. And he has this guardian angel who appears for only him throughout all this who like tells him things and he'll be like it doesn't exist because you you're not there to start it. The Bible club doesn't exist in this dimension because you didn't start it because you don't care. And another one of the main plots is he's mentoring this younger kid who has problems and uh, he is like getting that kid in touch with his faith. But then in the alternate reality, like he goes looking for that kid and finds out that the kid committed suicide because nobody was there to guide him. And that's Scotty. The whole meme like scotty jesus man because earlier in the movie he's talking to scotty the the troubled kid and scotty he's supposed to meet up with scotty after school but instead he wants to do something cool and so he like tells scotty like oh we have to postpone you know our meeting and then scotty says to him like hey jesus man so it's like, it, it ties it full circle. Like he goes back to reality. He finds out Scotty's not dead. Like Scotty didn't kill himself. And then he, he sees Scotty in the hall and that's when he's like, hey Scotty, Jesus man. Cause his faith is restored. He saw what life would be like if he wasn't doing what he was doing. Like he took for granted that things were the way they were in his normal reality. And didn't feel because he's continually saying too that he's like, I can't reach these other kids. Like he's trying to like spread his faith and he's constantly telling his parents, like, you know, they don't listen to me, like I'm not spreading the good word, nobody cares. And so he feels like he's not doing enough. But then he finds out if if he wasn't doing that at all, everything would just be completely haywire. Like at, at every level of his life, the good he's doing, however small, is holding everybody together. I loved it honestly you can easily make fun of it as this low budget made for tv 90s christian movie which i'm above making fun of that stuff i mean it is funny to watch it is silly but it's low-hanging fruit And, and like actually watching it i was like i was gripped it was like a better saved by the bell without any attempts at humor or anything Oh, yeah, I mean, I, I recommend it. its I don't know what it's called, but... The only reason I watched it is just because I was like, oh, I just want to see where that meme is from. That meme... I want to see where that meme is from. I just kind of wanted to see what the context was, and I ended up watching the whole thing. Eric's seen one movie in the last five years, and it was that. I like stuff like that, too, though, because you know just it you'll never recapture that like you can't recapture the feeling of a 90s teen christian movie or really anything like that it's uh i don't know it's an artificial version of of what i actually saw and experienced back then but it's something and just the way the camera looks the way everything feels, like you just can't possibly ever recreate that. It's like what I say about Columbine, you know, like we're, what stands out to me about Columbine is just the nostalgia of it. Like not the nostalgia of the Columbine event, but it's like this time capsule because like so much is documented about what happened in these kids' lives. There's so much footage. There's so much information. It's really like outside of your own personal experience to me Columbine is the closest you can ever get to like re-experiencing what it was like to be a teenager in the late 90s or early 2000s. Like there's no TV show or movie or documentary that I'm aware of that really takes you into what a high school was like during that period. I was in junior high when it happened, but same thing. Same fashion, same culture and everything. So there's just, I don't know, there's something about Columbine where it's like, when you strip away, I mean, like the the massacre and the horror of it all, you know, frames it, it makes it dark. Like if you look at pictures from Columbine High School in 1999, like if you look at their class picture and things like that, there's an obvious darkness over it but it's also, the, it's also just pure nostalgia. It's like, I can look at that and I, I immediately like pick up on like all of the nuances of like the types of kids. Like there's that class picture that's famous because the, you know, every year it's funny that this, this must've been universal, but it's like every year they take a class picture of all the seniors sitting in bleachers. They do this at every school. There's a big, uh, spread in every yearbook of that picture You'd put it on your wall, like, when I was in ninth grade, they did one too, and everybody put it on their walls. Like, even I put it on my wall, even though I had no, why did I need a picture of my entire class? You just do it, it's like this big, it's like a rite of passage, because when I was younger, I would go over to people's houses who had older siblings, and they would have their picture up on the wall. They would have their class picture. And you'd look at it, and you'd be like, look at all those people, look at them. I was always fascinated by that shit. Like since my sister was seven years older, she was getting year, like, you know, we didn't have yearbooks until I was in junior high. So like I was seeing all of her yearbooks and I would just, I would look over them obsessively. Every time she would get her yearbook, like we just kept them under the coffee table in our living room and I would just pull those out and just look through them obsessively. The whole, from from front cover to, to back. And I knew some of the kids because of my sister, but a lot of them I didn't know, but I would like look at them and their names and I was just fascinated by it. I can't even tell you why. I mean, I guess just people, teenagers, what's not to be fascinated about, especially when you're a little kid. Um, But it wasn't like I was like attempting to, I don't know, it was entertaining to me. And like, sometimes you'd look at certain pictures and like laugh and make fun of people or whatever, but the whole thing, it was just interesting. And so the same thing when you would see, um, like you go over to somebody's house. Like my friend had a sister who was a couple years older, and I remember going over to her house, and she had like the whole class picture on her wall, and we all just like sat there staring at it, like looking at every face. Like it, you know, it seemed cool. It was. It just seemed. It seemed old. Like you were, seemed mature and cool. So like when we got our class picture, like we all did the same thing it's just what you did um so with column and then in ninth in in senior year of high school it's like the big one and they put it in the yearbook and everything but when they take those pictures they did this in both ninth grade and twelfth grade when they take those pictures of everybody they have you take two and they did this for us where they say like the first picture is going to be serious And then the second picture is going to be silly. And so you take a picture where you're all just sitting there, like, staring at the camera. Some kids might have a smile at most, but you're all just, like, sitting there with your hands in your lap. Just looking at the camera. And then the second one, like, do something goofy. Do something silly. Do bunny ears behind the person in front of you. And Columbine did that. So like Columbine, they did the thing where like, we took a serious photo and a silly photo. And up in like the back left corner, you can see Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold and a couple of their friends. And in the serious one, Harris and Klebold, like they're just kind of, they have like, they're obviously doing this together. Like they kind of have their heads down, like doing an evil stare, an evil stare. And then in the silly one, They have like their sunglasses on and they're all pretending to point rifles or handguns they're they're all just pointing air guns invisible guns and a couple of their friends are doing it too but like harris and klebold are right next to each other just pointing these fake guns straight at the camera and you know people like people focus on that because it's like oh look It's the Columbine killers foreshadowing what they were going to do a couple months later. And that's crazy. I mean, it's a crazy photo. It's crazy that there's actually a photo of them with their whole class. And they're up in the corner looking really ominous. Like, even though they were just these goofy teenagers, there is something very ominous about simply the way they look in that. Like, you can tell there's conviction or something. Maybe maybe I'm biased because I know what they did, but... I think you can sense the conviction, because they're friends. like they have a couple friends who are also pretending to point guns, and those guys look way more goofy. like one of them's pretending to point a gun, like like a black guy, like the sideways handgun, and another one's just sort of chilling there, pretending to point a gun, but like Harris and Klebold are sitting together in the way back, and they're just like, they look like they're going to kill somebody. But outside of that, like, I've looked at that whole class picture because I find it fascinating. Like, I, I, I'm as fascinated by all the other kids as I am with them because for me, it's just like this nostalgia trip. It's like, here's these kids in a different city who I never knew, but I can immediately tell, like, what type of kid they are. I can immediately see what the social environment was like. And I always laugh because there's a guy in a Neurosis shirt in the Columbine class picture. He's just a guy in a Neurosis shirt. And I'm like, oh, that's the guy who was, you know, he was into, like, slightly cooler things than everybody else. Because, like, Harrison Klebold, like, a lot of focus gets put on that, like, them being into dark music and all that. But it's like they were into, like, mainstream and, you know, mainstream industrial you know, like they were into Ramstein, Ramstein. They were into stuff like that. Like everything they were into, you could go into Sam Goody, and I mean, Sam Goody probably had a lot of other stuff. But still, like you could go into like the, you could go into a grocery store practically and find their music. And I'm not saying that to knock them, I'm just saying that like, they did not have niche taste. Like there might not have been a ton of people in their high school who listened to Ramstein. There might not have been people who listened to KMFDM, that stuff they were obsessed with. But it's like, that stuff was common, that stuff was huge. Like Neurosis is a pretty big band for what they are, but it's like most kids, like every is not necessarily gonna have a Neurosis fan. It's not a given like every school is going to have kids who are obsessed with ramstein and guns but a guy who's into neurosis like i said pretty big band this isn't i'm not saying this to talk up neurosis i'm just saying that it's a little more niche especially then especially in 1999 you know that guy's probably into stuff that's what i see i see the guy in the neurosis shirt and i say oh there's the guy who's into stuff But everybody, it's not just that shit. It's like everybody in the photo, every single one. And that, that's that's what attracts me to Columbine. Like I remember saying on here a while back, you know, that I, I didn't really know that much about Columbine. But in the last like year, I've, I've ended up obsessively reading about it many, many nights, like late into the night. Like obsessively looking at photos. And I think a big part of it for me is it's like, it's like re-immersion into the world into the world that I knew in 1999 because even though this is like a different school you know the suburbs of Denver are going to be a little bit different I don't know these people anything like that it was a very similar environment to where I grew up you know like I was a Seattle suburb it's that's a Denver suburb but there is sort of a there are cultural similarities between Colorado and Washington not just because they were the first two states to legalize weed although that's probably part of it there's just kind of like a you know it's an affluent suburb next to a major city i grew up in an affluent suburb next to a major city at that time too it's like there weren't going to be major cultural differences like kids were kind of into the same thing no matter where they lived especially if they lived in the western half of the u.s so I don't know, I just I heavily relate to just the lay of the land. And so I think that's why I find it so interesting. And it's become kind of a thing, you know, I've said before where, you know, I have a Star Wars quota where like I have to talk about Star Wars once a month. They they shut down my show. They'll shut down my show if I don't talk about Star Wars once a month. My superior, my producers have told me if I don't talk about Star Wars on my show once a month, they pull the plug on the whole thing. No, no more show. Well, now there's a Columbine quota too where I have to talk about both Star Wars and Columbine once a month or they pull the plug. Producers say, nope, he's not living up to his end of the bargain. But yeah, again, though, it's like it's something that you can't get anywhere else, really. Like the only other media I could consume that would take me back to late 90s hallways, late 90s school, would be my own pictures, which you don't want to. That's a whole other thing. It's personal. You have to like dig through boxes, look at old photos and things. And you you don't always want to be part of it. Like, if I were to dig into, like, my yearbooks, my old photos and things, it's fun to do once in a while. But it's like you're, you're attached to it. You know, you're a part of it. It reminds you of things. It's kind of sad because it's personal. The personal past can be kind of sad. Columbine's sad because of what happened. But when you actually, like, it's almost like being a totally neutral observer of a place that was exactly like your childhood that was exactly like your high school exactly like your junior high and so i think that's the the the, the draw of it it's like you can have this detached nostalgia that takes you back to that time because people are you know obsessed with the 90s there's a lot of kids now who weren't even alive in the 90s who are experiencing their own sort of 90s nostalgia, and people do that. I mean, I've done that myself with the 50s. Like when I was a kid, I was really interested in the 50s, and I had nostalgia for a time that I myself didn't experience. Like you think of nostalgia as a thing where it's a connection to something from your past, like something you grew up with. Oh, he collects old metal toys because he grew up playing with them. No, like you can be you can have nostalgia about something you never experienced. You can have nostalgia about a time that existed before you were even born. I experienced that with the fifties when I was growing up. So these kids now who like weren't alive in the nineties, weren't conscious in the nineties, they're experiencing that now with that period. But they can't really they don't really know what it tasted like. You know, they don't really know what it felt like. And even people who are alive then look back. Like, whenever... Because uh, I'll, I'll look at these Facebook groups and things I find randomly. Like, I found one that had pictures of the mall in Bellevue that I grew up going to. Bellevue Square was just the biggest mall around. A fancy big mall. It's even mentioned in the movie Say Anything. The girl's like, oh, I was hanging out. when we hung out at Bell Square. Yeah, Bellevue Square was a big deal and it was it was so 80s it was so early 90s like the design the artwork everything about it had that feeling and it it actually felt that way too like even back then even being like six or seven years old going to Bellevue Square I felt like I was in an 80s movie you know a lot of things back then you look back on it and you're like oh it'd be so cool if things still looked that way but like at, at the time, like sometimes you would get a taste of that, and like you knew in that moment, like this isn't mundane. This is an '80s movie. We had some relatives for a while around that same time period in Bellevue. Something about Bellevue. But we had some relatives, and I remember like the inside of their house. It was like a lot of glass white carpet, white furniture, white walls, like very pristine. And the furniture too was very 1980s. It was, it it was very sleek. And I, I remember going over to this house and being like, wow, I wasn't even attracted to it. Like it wasn't a house that I would ever want to live in, but I was attracted to it in the sense that I was like, wow, this, this is the 80s. This is the early 90s. And that's kind of what people feel when, like, they see old photos. Like, going back to what I was saying, like, I saw these, like, some sort of Facebook group. There's these Facebook groups that I actually really like that are, like, a look at the past. And they'll, like, they'll name a town. There's one for Olympia. And uh, they have them for, like, Kirkland and Bellevue. And they posted, like, these photos of Bellevue Square from the 80s or 90s. I think it was the 80s. And it's one of those things where like people who weren't there for it will look at that and be like, man, if I could go back then. But for the most part, that stuff was mundane. Like even though I just said that sometimes it it felt extraordinary, like sometimes you felt like, oh no, this isn't just reality. This is the 80s. This This isn't just reality. This is 1991. Like even though you got that, like most of the time it was gonna be mundane. Like, I'll see a picture of a strip mall from 1993, and I'll be like, I would kill to be there. I would be high off of that experience. Just being in that strip mall where that little hole in the wall bookstore was that sold comics, you know, next to the Army Navy surplus shop, next to the mom and pop video store. Like, I would kill to be. Just parking at that strip mall and getting out and just walking into those stores. But when you were doing it back then, it just felt normal. It felt mundane. And the other thing, too, that's funny is you'll see this... When photos like that are posted, like, you'll see comments and people will be like, And look, not a single phone in sight. Oh, look at that. All these people at the mall just shopping... Just living their lives, there's not even a single phone in sight. And you know, that's true. Like, people weren't sucked into, like, this other reality when they were going about their day like they are now. Like, it does suck and it is weird that if you go to a mall today, everybody has this portal in their hand. Or their pocket, but probably their hand. And they're in that world, too. They're not just in the mall world. Because when you go to the mall, you know, pre-phones and everything, you did kind of enter this other world. Like, you entered this place and you're like, I'm at the mall now. You start thinking like, I'm at the mall. You're now in this ecosystem. It was a great feeling. But it also was just reality, too. Like, you weren't necessarily any more present than you are today. Like, there's this idea that phones and everything mean like nobody's present anymore, but like, it's not like everybody was magically present. Like, there were other mental distractions because, like, not being present really has nothing to do with devices or technology. Like, devices and technology, like, they can help make you less present, they can contribute, but it's like the thing that makes you not present is all in your fucking mind anyway. You know, it's all your thoughts. And people walking around malls in 1991, their minds were a million miles away. It's people. Have, people weren't just magically enlightened 30 years ago. You know, they had fewer distractions, maybe, but they were still distracted. That said, like I'm, I'm completely guilty of all the things I'm saying. Like I look at old pictures and I'm like, man, things were different then. Man, if I could go back then, it, it goes back to what I always say about a time machine. Where, if I had access to a time machine, I'd just use it to go. I'd stay exactly where I am, but I'd go back like 50 years. Oh, I have a time machine. I can go back to any time and I can go back to any moment in history. Take me back right here where I'm standing now 40 years ago. I just want to smell the air. I just want to see if it feels different. I just want to see if people feel different. I want to see like, I want to take a look at like what looks different. I want to see if like what's still here today I want to see what was there then that's still here today. I want to see see what's different. Like, I have a friend who grew up here in Olympia, and like, I didn't move here until 2004. My sister went to college here starting in 1997. We didn't come down here a lot, though. Like, once in a blue moon, we'd come down, pick her up at the school, go get lunch, and that was basically it. I have vague memories of what downtown Olympia was like, and I always really liked it. You know, cause it, they've changed it a a bit, but it still kinda has that old timey core to the downtown. Like it still does have that sort of old timey feel. Like you go to small towns sometimes and they still have that. But Olympia especially seemed to have that in the late 90s. But my memories are all really vague. Um, and I've, I've lived here since 2004, but I have a friend who grew up here who still has photos, you know, hard physical photos and I've looked through them and there's stuff like, I'm like, there was a building on that corner. Oh, where that empty lot is. There was a big brick building. You know, things like that that just blow my mind. You know, things like that I'm just obsessed with. And so if I had a time machine, I'd just be like, yeah, like, take me back to this exact spot 40 years ago. I just want to see what's different. I want to walk around. And I like that it would be mostly familiar. Like, you would still know the lay of the land. It would be mostly familiar but it would be different enough. And it would be kind of like that game of like, where there's two near identical pictures side by side and you have to point out what's different. It'd be kind of like that, except I wouldn't even make a game of it. For me, it wouldn't be, I wouldn't gamify my time machine experience. I just want to take it all in. And I think it would be sad. Like you'd see things that make you sad. You'd see things that make you happy. But best of all, you could just be an observer for most of it. I'd go back in time and stop Hitler. I'd go back exactly where I am right now. Like I've thought about it. I'd go back to where I am right now. Or I go back to like my hometown several decades earlier. I mean, I'd probably waste it. I'd probably go back to a time period when I was even alive screw the 1950s, 60s or 70s, because I always thought like, I'd like to go back to like some place that I've lived, but in the 50s through 70s, I'd probably just go back to like 1993, where I currently live and just be like, I'm just going to go back to this. Because it's all you know, when people talk about time machines, it's always like this grand adventure or wanting to like do something novel. Or see something that you've never seen. Like, I want to go see the building of the pyramids. I want to go back to this historical event. For me, it'd just be, I want to see the mundane reality. I want to go back to a period that's even familiar with me. I'll go back to the 90s for a minute. Maybe a, maybe more than a minute. You don't want to cross paths. Like if you had a time machine, you wouldn't want to cross paths with anybody you know. And not for the back to the future reasons. You know, back to the future, like you got to be careful crossing your paths with people you know, like your parents, because you can change the future. One little misstep and you change the whole future. I don't even care about that. Like for me, it's just for emotional reasons. Like, I wouldn't want to go back in time and like see my parents when they met just because it'd be... I don't know. Even if that itself is not a sad moment, I would probably feel this crushing sadness. I know myself well enough to know that I'd feel a crushing sadness. So I wouldn't want to ever see anybody that I knew or even knew of. I'd want it to be like a totally emotionally neutral experience and to just go to the environment to smell the air. And I'd be curious, I'd be legitimately curious if it did feel different, you know, even though I'm saying like, oh yeah, even if, even if you look back at the eighties, like it was still the same reality was still the same. I don't even know if that's true. If you went back to 1991 right now you might very well feel like you're an entire in an entirely different world like the air might smell different things might taste different you might your brain might function differently like the habitat might be the psychic habitat if nothing else might be way more different than you even realize so yeah give me a time machine i'll go back then But in the absence of a time machine, it's nice to look at pictures, it's nice to see videos. That's why Columbine is good. That's that's basically what I mean when I'm talking about Columbine. Columbine is basically a time machine back to 1999. And while there's this morbid interest in it because it was a massacre, I'm interested in everything else that was going on except for that. Like, I do find the massacre interesting in its own way. um, But I'm interested in, like, everything going on outside of that, too. Because, I mean, like, the thing is, is, talking about how Littleton was very similar to the place I grew up, I think a lot of that was just universal all around the country. Because even the trench coat type of guy, I know I've talked about this before, but... You know, the trench coat guy, they lived in Kirkland in 1995 too. Like even years before Columbine, like we had trench coat guys in Kirkland. They were at my sister's high school. I would see them walking. They wore big black dusters. And at the time you didn't associate that with anything. You knew what they were. Like you saw a guy, the type of guy who was wearing a big black duster when he's 17 years old, you would be like, oh, he's a dark nerd. That's all. Oh, look, there's a dark nerd. And some of those guys, like you knew that they had a weird anti-social streak. Like people didn't see a guy in a trench coat in 1996 and say like, oh, he's going to shoot up the school. But they might be like, oh, hey, Mark is a little uh, obsessed with guns. They wouldn't say it like that. Like they'd be like, Mark told me like he stole his dad's uh, Glock. Like there was actually a guy named Mark who I went to school with. He was a couple years older than me and he lived next to somebody I knew. And he, he looked like pretty average. Like he would just wear like shorts and t-shirts, short hair, but he did have a trench coat he'd wear sometimes. And he was known because he, he was like using the internet at a, you know, very early on, he was ordering like, like the rumor was, is he had ordered C4 C4 and he had guns and stuff. And there was never like a serious concern over it, but it was like, Oh, he's a little bit psycho. And so at most, that's how people viewed trench coat guys. It's like, Oh, he's a nerd for sure. There's not really anything to worry about. Nobody really thought about school shootings. Like, they happened on occasion, they happened very rarely, but nobody necessarily associated it with that type of kid, let alone the trench coat. But of course, like, after Columbine, immediately, immediately it was, oh, guys who wear trench coats shoot up schools. And it's true. Like, someone who wears a big black trench coat to school after Columbine is trying to signal that. Like, we still, like, they didn't ban trench coats from my schools. So there were a couple kids who still wore them. Like there was a kid at my high school, this is probably four or five years after Columbine and he wore a trench coat every day. He was a computer gamer. He was, you know, I don't think he was bullied but he was definitely by himself. He was definitely a loner. And at that point in time, like he was probably wearing the trench coat kind of as a shield. Or to communicate to people like, oh, hey, don't fuck with me because you ever heard of Columbine? You ever heard of Columbine? So I think like after that, on one hand, like the public started just associating trench coat guys with shootings. But then guys, more people were wearing trench coats to kind of scare people a little bit. So it was a little bit of both on that. But before that, like those guys existed. Like I still remember my mom picking me up from school My mom actually came to school and and picked me up in the middle of the day because Columbine was happening. No, she didn't. Um, uh, Columbine was just happening. My mom picked me up after school. My my mom came to school and got me early because Columbine. No, uh, she picked me up from after school, and she was like, yeah, there was like a – you know, shooting a really bad school shooting in Colorado, and she's like, "You know those guys that we see around and wear the trench coats?" And I immediately was like, "Yeah." And she's like, "They were those kind of guys," and I was like, "Whoa." And then I went home and just watched the news the rest of the night. But my mom, you know, she even knew what that was. Like she she understood the dark nerd archetype. It's just that back then, the dark nerd wasn't somebody that you had to worry about. It was just sort of like, oh, he's a little bit fucked up. He's nerdy, but he's, he's kind of a fucked up nerd. That was basically it, though. So it was interesting to see the whole trench coat thing transform. Because, I mean, long before Columbine, like, if you wore a trench coat to school, you were a dork. There's no way to look like you belong in that thing. Like, and if you see the footage of the, the Columbine shooters in their trench coats, they look, it looks awful like on a fashion level. And I'm not even a fashion a fashion guy. Not even a fashion eye, I'm not even a fashion guy. Now, I'm not even into, fa- I don't even care about men's fashion but I do care about whether things look right. And you know, it goes back to what Miles said to me once where I was like telling him about this girl that I would see around town in a leather jacket. There's a reason I was talking about her, but it, I wasn't just being mean, but I was just talking to you. I was like, yeah, she, you know, she's one, she wears a leather jacket around that doesn't really fit her. And Miles is like, oh, so it looks like the leather jacket is wearing her. And I was like, exactly. And that's what it looks like when you see the, you know, Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris is like, when you see the footage and photos of them in their trench coats, it doesn't look good. Like they don't look like Neo from the Matrix. They're just in these awkwardly fitting, oversized trench coats. Like these skinny kids wearing giant trench coats and they do not look cool. But there always was a type of kid who who kind of thought that looked cool. Well, if I wear this? Like even before the Matrix, you know, because the Matrix was the other thing that really like cemented trench coats. Before that, people wore them and like they often wore them to look badass, look like badasses. Um, but, like, Columbine and the Matrix just, like, really cemented that look. Um, and I, there was even a kid in college, I remember, like, he every single day he would wear a beanie and a trench coat. And Miles actually had a class with that guy, like, during the brief time he went to my school. And I remember, he, like, he brought this kid up, and, like, he didn't know that I knew him. And by know him, I just mean that I had class with him too. But like he didn't know that I knew him, and he's like, hey, there's this kid in my class, and he wears a beanie and a trench coat every day, and he looks like a cartoon depiction. He looks like like a like what a cartoon like if a cartoon was trying to like depict a stereotypical teenager, he looks like that. And immediately I I was like, oh, I I said his name, and he's like, that's him, and I was like, I knew it. Because that's exactly what he looked like. He looked like a cartoon depiction of a rebellious teenager. And I don't even think at that point, like that this guy, even though this is post-Columbine, I don't think this guy was was going for like a don't mess with me or I'll bring a gun to school sort of vibe. I think he just thought that wearing a trench coat made him look like a baddest. But it never does. The number of people who can look cool in a trench coat are also the kind of people who never will wear one. It just worked out that way. Like the sort of people who could make a trench coat look cool, generally don't wear them. Like you can think of examples like The Breakfast Club. I mean, that's that's a different kind of trench coat. I think Bender or whatever his name is in The Breakfast Club. Like I think he's wearing like a gray, more of like a big overcoat, but it's a trench coat. That those are a little different, but it's still a trench coat. And like he obviously, I mean, he's he's an actor. Of course, he looks cool in it. But for an average kid, like the type of kid who wants to wear a trench coat, they'll just never look cool in it. It'll always look like it's wearing them. Um. Anyway, what am, what else do I got to talk about? I, I could just, I could just float around this topic all night. I truly could. I could just I could just float around like I'm in a hot tub right now. Found a jet over here. That was actually the first thing I ever saw online. First thing I ever saw online is, I think I was in third grade. My family didn't have the internet. We went over to our neighbor's house who had the internet. And while my family ate with these people, They just set me up in this attic on on the internet. And like they they showed me, they logged into AOL for me and then they just opened up a chat room and just said like, you can just check this out. And kind of like looking at yearbooks, I was just immediately fascinated. I was just sitting there on AOL, no websites for me to look at. I was just watching this chat room and I was like, these are people. And it was a bunch of adults pretending like they were in a hot tub. And I, I still remember like one guy in the chat room and keep in mind, this is my very first time seeing anybody online, like seeing anything online. This is my very first experience being online. And it was just a chat room with a bunch of adults pretending to be in a hot tub. And there was nothing, there was nothing dirty. At least not, there was nothing sexual, I should say. It was dirty because there was this one guy, he's like, Ooh, I found a jet. Oh, I'm going over here. Oh, found a jet. Like he was, he was really role playing that he was in a hot tub. He found a jet. Oop, found the jet. And even then, even being like a third grader, I was like, no, no, this is not good. I wanted it immediately. Immediately. Like I told my mom, I was like, we need to get that. We need to get that internet. We need to get AOL but still like seeing this grown man in a digital hot tub having a text adventure where he's like Oop, found the jet I was like oh no something is, is wrong here but that's me right now I'm floating in a hot tub right now I'm floating in a, in a mental hot tub at, the, at this moment and I could just float around I think I'll go over here oh I think I'll go over to this side oh I like the view from this spot You know, anything involving like authentic teenagehood in the 90s or early 2000s. I probably spend a lot of my free brain space visiting that time and that that period. I, I think a lot about it. I think a lot about the people I knew. I think about the way things felt. I think about the way things looked. Like I wish they didn't tear schools schools down cause um, like if I go back to my hometown now, like since I graduated high school, they completely renovated and rebuilt my high school. Years before that, they completely demolished my junior high and rebuilt a middle school on its corpse. I wish they didn't tear that shit down because I don't know. I don't have a reason to go back there. I've never been back. Like i've never been back to my high school since i graduated i the only time i went back to my junior high after i left is my friends and i were smoking weed in the woods next to the junior high and we came out and the the junior high was in the in the process of being demolished and it was like totally fenced off but we found a hole in the fence and so we just like walked inside of the half demolished corpse of the junior high and like it was incredible. I took photos. I had a, Back then, I had a digital camera. And so I took photos of it. Like, we were standing in the locker bay, but, like, one of the walls and, like, part of the ceiling were completely gone. So it was totally exposed. We could see the stairway that went down into the gym because the gym was downstairs. But by then, it was just a stairway to nothing. Or maybe I... I it's okay to demolish schools, but just let me wander around while it's under construction. Like the air is really thick in schools. I would imagine most of them are haunted. You you would think like, you know, like haunted places, they often attract tormented souls. And like some people are, are so tormented at that age. Like some of it's their own doing but so many people just live these very tormented lives while they're in school, and you'd think that more ghosts would populate them. I'm trying to think if I ever went to a haunted school. They all kind of felt haunted. They feel haunted just while you're all there. There's kind of a haunted energy to schools. Even regardless of any sort of ghost or supernatural thing, I feel like a lot of schools just feel haunted. Heard of a haunted house we Will check out this haunted school You know, I've talked a lot on here About how the store that I run is haunted And interestingly, because I mean, I haven't gone into all that Don't really need to, but I'm on a break Because they they closed out the liquidation store and they were planning to close out the furniture store. You know, I run both of them and then they decided, uh, just about a week ago, they're like, you know what, we're going to extend our lease and just reopen the store as a furniture store at the start of the year. So I'm like, Oh, well, cool. I'll take it. But that building very haunted. You know, I've talked a lot about it. it Has the giant stained glass window in the back, this giant magical stained glass window. I mentioned how like three of the boys who work with us or who have worked for us all had a dream before they worked there about a stained glass window in a warehouse. and With a couple of them, it had a curtain on the side of it and like in the dream they were pulling back the curtain as they woke up and ours has a curtain on the sides. So three boys had a premonition, three very different types of boys. One was an 18 year old Mormon kid. Another was a, a 21-year-old, very Catholic Mexican kid, and the other one just a just a nice guy. But all three of them reported that they had dreams about the stained glass window before they even worked there. They had a premonition, like something drew them there. But one of our guys was outside having a cigarette break and was talking to a girl who works at the store next door, and she was like, oh yeah, I had a weird dream last night. There was like a giant window, a giant stained glass window in the back of a warehouse. And she's never seen our warehouse or heard about it. And so it's like, that's a fourth person without having seen the stained glass window, had a dream about a stained glass window in a warehouse. When he told me that, when he's like a girl next door had that dream too, I was like, yep, damn right she did. I love that stuff. But of course, you know, the buildings felt haunted. And the last month or so, even I've, like I've said before, like other people have had these weird experiences there. They've seen things and heard things. And even though I am a true believer that the building is possessed, and I've been there by myself more than anybody else at night, it really doesn't reveal itself to me. And like my explanation for that is just because I wholly believe in it. Like I, I'm just, I'm just sort of one with it. I just, I, I say that not to be arrogant, but it's just sort of like, yeah, this place is haunted. There's an extremely powerful supernatural energy here, but I'm just like, yeah, I'm just sort of the steward. I'm just sort of the psychopomp, guiding everybody over the the river Styx, where I'm just sort of like, yeah, it's haunted, and I'm cool with it. As, as I said to people, like when people first started. When people first started thinking, like, this place is haunted, which was shortly after we opened, what I told them is, I was like, it's not a bad ghost, but it's not, it's not a good ghost either. It's just a ghost. But it really hasn't, you know, I sense it, but it really hasn't done much, if anything, you know, When I, with me. Whereas, like, everybody else, like, not everybody else, but a bunch of other people, like, they've had all these experiences... And as I said to him, it's like, it's because like, you need that you need to be shown that it shows itself to the people who need to be shown it. You know, things happen to the people who it needs to happen to, like, you need to be shown this, like, you kids who had the weird premonition dreams about the stained glass window in the warehouse, like you needed to have that dream the two people who have actually seen ghosts, like you needed to see a ghost. But the last month, like as we were, it was just so hectic, we were closing everything down. Even I started to feel like the building was making like crazier noises than normal. There was one night where something was just in the air, like me and the lead who helps me close, you know, he was getting ready to leave and I had a bunch more stuff to do. And I was like, for the first time, I was like, I don't want to be alone here tonight. There was this weird thud coming from the building, you know, which could have been a heater, it could have been anything, but there was like this weird thud. Like there's these, there's this cracking at the top of the pillars, which I'm told is is structurally fine, but still, like the tops of the pillars are cracking, and every once in a while they creak, and I hadn't heard them creak in a very long time. And this one night, both the pillars were creaking. There's this mysterious thud coming from the building. Just a weird feeling like two cops were just parked outside, like right across from the doors. It was just a a weird feeling. And the building was just like I said to the kid, I was like, the building knows we're closing and it's 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 screaming because it's ready to be free again. But it did kind of feel that way. And then they shut down the liquidation store. So most of our employees were gone. You know, most of our employees were let go because most of them worked at the liquidation store. And then for about a couple weeks afterward, it was just three or four of us at most selling furniture. And immediately there's kind of a peace throughout the building. And I'm like, oh yeah, because it feeds off of people's lives. And I don't mean that in a, in a, like it feeds on people. I just mean that that energy like it it feeds off the the psychic and personal activity of the people there like when we had like 12 to 15 people there most of them with these like screwed up twisted up lives most of them like trying to figure themselves out going through all this interpersonal drama just causing unnecessary problems like just not knowing what life is about like when we had all those people in the building i think it caused the building whatever's this thing, I think it caused it to react. Like it's feeding off all that, and so then when all those people are gone, and it's just like three of us, who are pretty cool with with just the the state of things, who are just kind of living our lives. Suddenly, the building's not feeding off all that. You know, this this is all very scientific. Uh, but I do believe that. Like I do, I do get a sense for that. But there was a customer the other day, and he's like, man, he's like this black, this middle-aged black dude. He's like, man, I used to work in this building in 1991. And I was like, really? And the first thing I asked, I was like, was the stained glass window here? And he goes, yeah. And I'm like, fuck, that's been in the building since at least 1991? The stained glass window has been in the warehouse since at least 1991. It may go back to the 70s, because there's this little placard with it. That says that the windows were taken off this old Boston church, and then sent to Seattle in 1978. So it might have been in this. I don't. I don't think the building was even built in 1978. But I, I think about like all the different lives and events. Like first, as, as a, a stained glass window on a Boston church, you know, a hundred something years ago, it saw all kinds of lives play out. All kinds of energy would have been going on in this church. And then it got transported. It got sent to Seattle and then to Olympia. Many different businesses and things have existed in this building. And so it's seen all these lives. All these stories have played out around it. And I don't think it's a coincidence that this giant stained glass altar... Is in our warehouse and there's also this this very thick energy to the whole place and it unsettles some people like going back to the dream thing like the mexican kid who had the dream about the the window when i heard that i brought it up with him i was like so i heard you had a dream about the stained glass window too and he's like yeah and i was like that's pretty cool and he goes no he was a very kind of scared kid and it's like no, you know he he was freaked out by it. This isn't a kid who's into like the occult who's like, yeah, I had a, I had a dream about it. You know, this is a kid who didn't want to have a dream about it. But he admitted the truth, which is that he had a dream about it before he even started working there. But uh... anyway, it's just it's interesting that like as. It's like when we were in full force with all these employees, you know, it felt like that caused it to react. Like more things were happening to people as people were living these chaotic lives, acting out these pers- interpersonal dramas. And then it seemed to quiet down. Like, and I could literally like hear the building almost screaming out. It's like it knows that soon this whole place will be closed again. It'll be an empty store like it was for the previous eight years. Because it was empty for eight years before us. It's ready. It's ready for the gate to be closed again. But it's almost like a pressure valve got released by one of the stores closing. And even though we decided to keep the other store open for a little while. It's like a pressure valve got released. You know, some pressure is off of it. But anyway, I mean, like, just thinking about the building now, like, I'd like to go see the building in 1991. Like, that guy telling me, like, oh, I used to work in this building in 1991, and the stained glass window was here then, it immediately made me want to go back there. Like, if I had a time machine in that moment, I'd be like, you know what? I'm going to go back then. I'm going to go back to 1991 and go to the place I work at. I'm just going to go walk around inside the building, see how it feels. That's how I'd use my time machine.